can we use veggies instead of mouthwash? That's a topic of a research study that has been published in scientific reports. And the researchers were looking at the effect of nitrate on the microflora in our mouth. And what they found out was pretty fascinating. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And what a wild show it is today. We will be exploring a new study showing how vegetables could be the new Listerine. Let me say that again. Vegetables could be the new Listerine. And Dr. Hanna Kaliova, she will be here with all of these incredible details. You know, we do talk a lot about health on this show and weight loss and muscles and diseases and diabetes, high blood pressure and so on. But never, ever, Have we spoken about oral health? And it is high time that we shine the light on your pearly whites. And we have brand spanking new research to do just that. A study hot off of the presses finds that eating a meal that is chock full of veggies can help shield you from some of these oral ailments that leave your teeth feeling rotten and your breath sour enough to clear a room. But... Is that true? Can vegetables really combat these problems? And if so, does that mean that mustard greens are like mouthwash? We are going to find out today. And also today, Dr. Jasmine Sardana, Dr. Jazz, she is here to tune up our nutrition IQs. She's going to be answering some questions when we open up the doctor's mailbag in just a little bit. Going to be talking today about weight loss and salt consumption on a whole food plant-based diet and how a vegan diet may even help with acne. Also some questions in there about omega-3s and a whole lot more. So lots to get into. But first, that new study showing a perfect smile might be found in the produce aisle. Let's chat now with Dr. Hanna Kaliova. Dr. Kaliova said at the top, this is a wild study. So what exactly did researchers find here? Thank you so much, Chuck. Yeah, can we use veggies instead of mouthwash? (laughs) You know, that's a topic of a research study that has been published in scientific reports. Uh, And the researchers were looking at the effect of nitrate uh, on the microflora in our mouth. And they found what they found out was pretty fascinating. Uh, First of all, we know that nitrate that's in all fruits and vegetables, especially in the green leafy vegetables, uh, has wonderful effects on our cardiovascular health and uh, on our physical fitness Um, because the nitrates uh, in the vegetables are being reduced to nitrites and then to nitric oxide, which is a signaling molecule um, that's important for our heart health. 
it leads to vasodilation. Um, it helps with endothelial function, uh, so it keeps the blood flowing. Uh, it also promotes cellular respiration. Uh, it also helps with glucose uptake and glucose metabolism, so it helps in the prevention of prediabetes or diabetes. And now this new study is suggesting that the nitrate and then to a certain degree, the nitric oxide that's being also formed in our mouth to a certain degree may be beneficial for our oral hygiene. Uh, we know that consuming uh, or using uh, Listerine or uh, ma regular mouthwash that contains um, chlorhexamine uh, leads to increased blood pressure and also increases the risk of developing prediabetes or diabetes. Um, so if you are not using mouthwash, what else can you do for your oral health? Uh, the researchers took uh, saliva samples from 12 healthy people and they were looking at the effects of nitrate. And what they found out was pretty fascinating. First of all, we know um, that the plague, the, the biofilm that's being formed on our teeth and on our tongue uh, may lead to tooth decay and also um, periodontitis. And uh, the researchers found out that nitrate was inhibiting the biofilm formation. It was, redu it was reducing the biofilm formation. Um, the second finding was that when we eat a meal, the pH in our mouth goes down and nitrate was uh, preventing further decline in pH after a meal, which is a significant finding as well uh, in the prevention of tooth decay. And the third finding is also fascinating. Nitrate was promoting all the healthy bacteria in the mouth and was inhibiting the growth of the bacteria that are associated with tooth decay. Uh, so this is a summarizing slide. Um, the nitrates in the vegetables uh, lead to nitrite and uh, nit nitric oxide formation. And uh, they have systemic health benefits like promoting blood flow and promoting your metabolism and glucose uptake and preventing prediabetes and diabetes. But they also have some benefits for your oral hygiene. Uh, they prevent the formation of, or they reduce the formation of the biofilm on your, on your teeth and on your tongue. Um, they also uh, reduce uh, or prevent further reduction of pH in your, in your mouth after a meal. And third of all, they influence your microbiome in the mouth in a, in a positive way, um, reducing the species that are associated with tooth decay and promoting the healthy ones. So why don't you just stock up on all the veggies and especially um, the, the green leafy vegetables? Uh, that is a very interesting report that you have there. I, I just want to put a cap on this, Dr. Kaliova, by saying that, well, just by clarifying uh, in no way are we saying not to brush your teeth. In no way are we saying not to practice good oral hygiene. Is that correct? 
Correct. Yes. Oh, all right. Fantastic. Uh, that said, somebody in the chat room was wondering if you brush your teeth with carrots. <laughs> well, that's a creative idea. <laughs> or with spinach, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Leafy green. It's so interesting to me. Uh, you know, as we learn more and more about nutrition science, so much comes out. And there's always this this study every so often that just blows your mind and you never see coming. And who would have thought to study, you know, leafy greens and oral hygiene? And yet here we are talking about that today. This is absolutely crazy. So I hope that you share this with your dentist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to add there's two parts to oral hygiene. Uh, one is like the mechanical removing of the um, of anything that stays in, in on your teeth, uh, you know, so um, that's one part of oral hygiene. Uh, but the second part is also about maintaining the healthy environment in your mouth for the right kind of bacteria. And so uh, this study was really addressing the second one, was not addressing, you know, the importance of brushing your teeth. Right. That's a good point. And, and, and I will say also, this uh, reminds me of an interview I did with Dr. Robert Osfeld. You know him, cardiologist up in New York. I, I was up there and I did an interview with him. And then randomly, he's like, can I just say one more thing? Make sure that you floss. That is so important for your heart. And, and he, was, he was a big proponent of that. Um, he doesn't want the plaque uh, getting, getting down in there, the plaque from your teeth. So there you go. Very interesting stuff. It all kind of comes together. Dr. Kaliova, this is fascinating stuff. Thanks for bringing the science. Thanks so much for having me, Chuck. All right. Isn't that always crazy? The stuff that Dr. Kaliova brings to this show is just extraordinary. I really wanted to sink my teeth into this one. So I did a little bit more research after I spoke with Dr. Kaliova, and I was looking for more foods that can help out with your teeth. And I stumbled across this from the University of Rochester Medical Center. At the top of their list of foods were fiber-rich fruits and vegetables. Just like what Dr. Kaliova was saying, they say that these foods, which have fiber, that fiber helps to keep your teeth and gums clean. And it also helps to get saliva going in your mouth, saying that that is your best natural defense against cavities and gum disease. Also on the list, green tea and black tea. The article cites polyphenols that are found in the tea that can kill or at the very least cut down on a lot of the damaging bacteria that is found in your mouth. Now let's talk about the foods that you want to avoid. Here are the big ones. And no surprise, leading this list are the same foods that your dentist has warned you about your entire life. We're talking about candy and sweets. Also says soda. So you want to get those out of your diet for so many reasons. But in this particular case, we're talking about the health of your teeth. So candy, sweets, sodas, all gone. Now, the article also says to be cautious about foods that can get stuck in your mouth. As an example, I thought this was rather interesting. They said potato chips. They said potato chips because the chips can get caught between your teeth and then wreak havoc. That is when they do some damage. So cut out the sweets and the food that can get stuck between your teeth like potato chips. Now, we've talked dental floss. Let's talk 
mental flaws. Dr. Jasmine Sardana, Dr. Jazz, she is here to answer some of your questions, and we are going well beyond just oral health now. We are going to have a total body health experience. At Cornell, wondering about kickstarting weight loss after going vegan. Cornell went vegan a while ago. The scale hasn't moved. What advice does Dr. Jazz have that can get that scale moving once again? Edith is wondering whether it's better to spread avocado or a plant-based butter on their bread in the morning. And what about kombucha? What's the view on kombucha? Yay or nay? We're going to find out about that. We're also going to learn about high blood pressure and cholesterol. And if you have that and you just started eating a plant-based diet, is it still then okay to include just a little bit of salt? Well, we are going to find out. And because this was recorded live on the exam room live, we had some interesting talk in the chat room about fermented foods. And someone said that they eat kimchi with oatmeal, right? Kimchi and oatmeal together. Would you eat that? Seriously, would you eat kimchi and oatmeal together? It's not exactly peanut butter and jelly, but one of the exam roomies swears by it. I just don't know, though. But what I do know is that health class is in session as we open up the doctor's mailbag with Dr. Jazz. Dr. Jazz, thank you so very much for being here today. Thanks, Chuck. My first question is, what do you make of that study that Dr. Kaliova just presented? I mean, that just gives me more push and more motivation to continue to encourage all of my patients to eat their leafy greens. There's just one more thing that I can say that these vegetables can do for you. So I'm excited to hear it. I know it's, it's wild. I'm, I'm totally going to take that to my dentist. Um, all right, but let's let's go ahead. We're going to move on from oral health. We have a little bit of everything in here today. And the first question comes to us from Cornell. Uh, Cornell is looking for some help actually losing weight. They write, I have been plant-based since April. And although I've stopped gaining weight, I still have not been able to lose any. So what advice can you offer? Yeah, so plant-based is great. Um, but I would, I, the recommendation or the advice that I would give to Cornell is to really take really good stock, um, and do an honest review of what you're truly eating. You know, plant-based nowadays, um, is on everything. It's super trendy. It's, you know, we see it everywhere, but just because something is plant-based doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy for you, um, that it's healthy for your heart, uh, nor that it's healthy for your waistline. And a lot of the plant-based products that are out there, especially the transition or the faux meats um, and cheeses, actually have a lot of fat and calories and salts and, and other things uh, in it because it is also considered a processed food. Um, so that's where I would start is just to make sure that even though that you're plant-based, is that, you know, is it plant-based or is it whole food plant-based? Because there is a difference. And if you're fi finding that more of your plant-based diet incorporates more of the junk food or more processed plant-based foods, that might be um, a reason why you're no longer, you know, uh, able to lose any further weight. Uh, that's one, taking a really good inventory. Number two is um, making sure, uh, you know, we tell our patients that when you're going whole food plant-based, you don't really have to watch your portion size. However, if you're not fully whole food plant-based um, and you're still getting in some processed foods, if you're, you know, using a, a lot of oil, for example, uh, in your diet, taking inventory and stock of that and 
understanding how much of that you're eating. Um, and then also the even really healthy, good things like avocados uh, that have are a good, healthy source of fats um, can, if eaten in excess, because they're high, you know, calorically dense, lots of calories, uh, that can sometimes um, not sabotage your efforts, but can push you back um, a little bit. So taking really good stock, watching the, uh, making sure that you really are eating whole food plant-based. And that is a really good segue to the next question, which comes to us from Edith, who is actually wondering whether it's better to spread avocado or plant-based butter on her toast in the morning. Oh, yeah. Perfect follow-up question because avocado, right? Um, and it's always relative. It's not, oh, I, you know, should I eat... Um, it's always relative. So you you should, if given the opportunity to choose an avocado, which is a whole food versus a processed um, plant-based butter or spread, always choose the avocado. But at the same time, be mindful that you're not eating, you know, tons and tons of avocados throughout the day or throughout your week. Um, but I would choose avocado for um, to spread on butter, uh, bread instead of the butter. All right. Leticia has an interesting question here. She writes, I just started a plant-based diet, but I have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Is it still okay to have a little bit of salt with this diet? Right. Yeah. So it number one, it really just does depend on what your numbers are and what your provider has discussed with you. Um, but we know that um, the DASH diet, which you know, was studied and developed and came out of the uh, understanding that those who are vegetarian who are vegan happen to have lower levels of blood pressure um, um, was developed. And in that DASH diet, there is a limitation on the amount of sodium that you are, um, you know, recommended to consume. So they, the low salt uh, version of the DASH diet is 1500 milligrams. And if you are on that diet, that study, you know, it has actually been shown that going on a plant, uh, on a DASH diet, which is heavily essentially a whole food plant-based diet with the, um, your salt restriction of either 2300 milligrams uh, is the upper end of that restriction or 1500 milligrams, which is the lower end of that, um, that your blood pressure numbers can improve in as little as two weeks. So the DASH diet, which has was developed to reduce blood pressure does allow for some salt, but it is in a restricted amount. Um, and important things to note is that if you're starting a plant-based diet, you might be getting foods that are out of a can, um, that, and the recommendation there would be to make sure that you're rinsing your foods that come out of a can, uh, because there's hidden, uh, salt in there. And if you happen to be eating any plant-based products that are in a, you know, box or package, I would say initially to just avoid that. But if you happen to eat those things to really take a, a really good look at the label and making sure that you're within those, um, boundaries of restrictions that the DASH diet was able to outline. All right, Dr. Jazz, I'm going to ask you to keep on your doctor's coat, but also put on your mom hat because we have okay. a question here from Jesse. She writes, I have three vegan little ones. They take multivitamins to make sure that they're covered, but do they also need to take algae omega supplements? Yeah, so this is something that that's a great question. We're still understanding and deciding about it. If you're what, what, for, as far as I know right now, is that if you are a strictly vegan family and you're not uh, consuming any fish products at all, it may be beneficial to incorporate an algae source of um, an algae source of those fatty acids that you would otherwise get from fish products. Um, and so the data is still coming out. 
Uh, we're still figuring those things out. But if you happen to be really strict, that might be beneficial. And, and the reason why is because we understand that these fatty acids are important for a growing child when it comes to brain development and et cetera. Those things are important. So while I don't have the hard uh, facts yet, they may be beneficial. And it's something that you should be considering if your family is fully and completely strictly vegan. All right. You still have that mom hat on? I, yes. I for, okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> it doesn't come off. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question from Diana. I think that we've addressed this on the show before, but it's always good to revisit it. Yeah. She writes, how do you get your kids to eat plant-based when they're so used to eating junk food all the time? Yes. So initially this is tough and, and they're so used to eating junk food because it's meant to be that way. Junk food was created uh, for you to be addicted to it, Right. Food scientists look at the salt content, the sugar content, the fat, fat content, and all of these things are not, you know, in these foods on accident. They, there are scientists who have researched what, what our bliss point is. So that's the point where you bite into something, you're eating a food, and, you know, there's that perfect amount of, you know, little uh, of sugar or salt or fat or that combination of. So understanding that there was a lot of deliberation um, and a lot of, um, science that went into making sure your kids enjoy these uh, unhealthy foods. So you're kind of fighting a lot of that. My recommendations, the things that I would do that I have done as a mom that's been helpful that has worked in our home is number one, remembering that I'm the adult. You know, we certainly want to make sure that we're giving our kids the things that um, that are enjoyable for them. But coming up with some rules as the adult, and if you're, you know, partnered with your partner to figure out you know, how much of these things do I really need to allow in my home? Because your children are kids, right? Uh, maybe they'll get junk food in places that maybe you may not be able to control if they're at a friend's home or, uh, you know, with other family members. But when you're at home, I, you know, I cannot stress this enough. It's having some rules at home that you have set as the adults, uh, you know, incorporate and include your children in those decisions and share with them why you want to not eat junk food. What are the reasons? Is it because grandpa had a heart attack, you know, so long ago? And we want to make sure that those things don't happen in our family. Having those discussions are really important, but just taking this stuff out of the house and making that decision as an as an adult to, to do that. Uh, and then also most importantly is to be the example, right? So it's important to, you know, yeah, we can tell our kids, you know, um, um, you know, just do what I say and don't do what I do. But that doesn't really work in real life. We have to be that example. And so part of, I think, some of that hesitation when it comes to parents, when I hear this uh, question, is really, um, really coming from a place where they're uncomfortable. They're not sure that they could give up that junk food. Um, so really be honest uh, and ask yourself, why is it that there's still junk food in this house? And what do you need to do to be that example for your kids? Wow, that is really good advice. I mean, that is a solid piece of advice there. You know, just being straight up with the kids. Grandpa yes. had a heart attack, and that's why we don't want to eat these types of foods. That's really, really, I man, that is a plus effort today, Doctor Jad. You are mm, a plus. It's uh, just the it's just the real. Uh, it's what I do in my house. Just be real. You know, just be real. I, you, you think kids are able to kind of grasp that and, and let that resonate in a second? It depends. But absolutely. I think you can have a conversation with, you know, a four-year-old and say, you know, um, if that happened to be your family history and say, you know what, grandpa is really sick um, or got this disease and we want to make sure that we don't get it. And we know that sometimes some of the foods that we eat can cause those diseases. And so we want to make sure that we're not going to include or have those things in our home. 
Um, but yeah, it depends on your child, but you can, you can have those conversations and it's important too, with everything, not just about food, but you need to have an open, honest dialogue, uh, you know, with your kids about all sorts of things. So this is a good way to practice. All right, let's do a 180 here. Pull out a question from Haney wants to know what is your view, Dr. Jazz on kombucha? Ah, great. So, um, I don't love it. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't love it, but for those that do, um, I think it's a great source of probiotics. That's why kombucha's, you know, been touted. It's essentially um, a tea that's been fermented with uh, yeast and some sugars and allowed to ferment um, and creates probiotics or good bacteria. And we know that there is just so much evidence now. There's so much data uh, to show that these good bacteria, which are those probiotics, um, are so beneficial for so many things. Uh, when it comes to our mood, when it comes to diabetes, when it comes to just our overall health. And we have like we've just barely scratched the surface of why probiotics are so good and how important our gut uh, microbiome is. But kombucha for that source of probiotics, I think, is a good source. You should be mindful of the amount of sugar um, that's in kombucha when you're buying it. Um, and there's also a question of alcohol, right? So kombucha is fermented. And so there's a very mild amount of alcohol that's naturally, you know, develops as a part of the uh, fermentation process. Most kombuchas have less than kombucha drinks have less than 0.5% alcohol in it. But it is important that you know that that is in it. Um, beer, a can, you know, like a can of beer, for example, has like 5%, uh, depending on the beer that you're drinking to just to give you a comparison. But um, for a source of probiotics, I think it's good. Be mindful of the amount of sugars, understand that there's alcohol in it. Um, and also, if it make sure that it's a commercially processed kombucha, right? So individuals who are home brewing kombucha, you have less um, kind of control over the amount of alcohol that might potentially be produced from that. So another thought there too. Moonshine kombucha. I remember <laughs> living in Florida uh, for for a time, and I, I never updated my license. I still had a Virginia license at that point, and they carded me when I went to buy kombucha. They absolutely went to yeah. me when, I, when I bought kombucha. They wouldn't sell it to me because I had an out-of-state driver's <laughs> license. Oh, and there's also boozy kombuchas. There are like alcoholic kombuchas as well. So also know that. Um, this was not one of them. I guarantee you. That this wasn't, was like, <laughs> no, this was the same kombucha you could get in any grocery store. Um, that is interesting. All right. Let's uh, pull out another question. This one is from Brian. Brian has apparently just been cleared out. His system has been cleared out. And now Dr. Jassy needs your advice. He wants okay. to know how can you replenish your gut microbiome following a colonoscopy? Oh, um, yeah. Great question. You know, it's going to be choosing. There isn't too much that you need to do, but this is a good opportunity um, after the colonoscopy to start a good diet, right? That's rich in whole foods, um, like whole grains, fresh fruits, vegetables. And the reason I say that is we talked about, and also including fermented products like kombucha, if you uh, enjoy that, or uh, miso or um, kimchi is, is, is another very common fermented product or sauerkraut. Um, so the fermented products have the probiotics that are already in it. Um, and so you consume it and then your gut can get populated again with really good gut, um, gut, um, bacteria, but the fruits and vegetables that you're going to eat that you should start eating or start to eat more of act as the fuel to feed that good bacteria so that as you're eating the fermented foods and you're incorporating these, you know, whole grains and fruits and fresh vegetables, 
And that'll create this environment where you're actively selecting for the good bacteria. Um, and that's the whole point. So, um, you know, adopt a whole food plant-based diet and incorporate some uh, fermented foods regularly. And apparently the exam roomies, they love some fermented foods. We got conversations mm-hmm. about sauerkraut in there. We've got kimchi and I love me some kimchi. Yes, uh, so kombucha, good. obviously. Oh man, it is so good. Uh, here's an interesting question from Heather. Okay. As we go into the shorter daylight months here, she wants yes. to know, what is your opinion on vitamin D supplements? I live in Canada. Well, hello, great white North. And mm-hmm. we get intense sun even in the winter, but people say the sun still may not be sufficient. Right. So this, you know, scientists and researchers are still trying to figure out, we don't have a, a, a great recommendation or a one size fits all recommendation of the amount of sunlight someone needs to get in order to get a consistent amount of um, vitamin D. And it's not that you're getting vitamin D from the sunlight. It's that the sunlight uh, actually helps to convert the vitamin D that's already within your body and your skin to its active form. And so there are several factors that contribute to whether or not a person can adequately, uh, you know, create a normal or an adequate amount of vitamin D. It's whether you have you know, melanin in your skin or not. And those who have more tanned skin have a, a harder chance of getting enough uh, sunlight. Um, If you are indoors and through a window, uh, you're not going to get as consistent sunlight. So even though it's winter and you get that intense sun, um, for her specifically, Heather, I do think that, you know, being outdoors for the time that you can be, and I understand in the middle of winter, especially if it's intense, you may not be able to be as exposed as you need. um, And for the time period that you need to get that adequate sunlight. So supplementation will be important um, in this case, for you specifically, but also for others who might have more tan skin, who are staying indoors um, and can't be outside to get that sunlight. And, um, you know, there are different options out there. There's D2, D3, but um, you should really talk to your doctor. Get a vitamin D level checked. Uh, We know that low vitamin D levels are also linked with something else that comes with, um, you know, as we approach the winter months, which is, you know, low mood, depression, uh, seasonal affective disorder. So I would encourage everyone to, you know, follow up with their doctors, talk to them about what your symptoms are, and if warranted, uh, to consider getting your vitamin D level checked. And then that will answer your question about whether or not supplementation is going to be necessary. You know what else can lower your mood, unfortunately, is when you don't feel the best about yourself. And so Jenny right now isn't exactly liking something that she's seeing in the mirror. She wants to know, is it possible that a plant-based diet can help clear up my complexion? I struggle with acne. Um, Yes, it it is absolutely possible. Um, You know, a whole food plant-based diet, again, because it's so incredibly rich in polyphenols and these antioxidants, um, that's one piece of it, right? It has all the great ingredients to help your body heal itself. And then number two, when you're on a whole food plant-based diet, you're no longer consuming these pro-inflammatory foods that are animal-based. And we know that meats, dairy, cheese, which is concentrated milk, um, you know, all of those things play a role in causing inflammation in your body. And on a whole food plant-based diet, you're not getting that. And instead you're getting all of these antioxidant rich foods. Um, And hopefully on, on that diet, you're also drinking more water and 
all of those things in combination help to improve your skin, can help to uh, with with acne, can help with eczema potentially. Again, taking that advice, but and then also see, seeking out the um, advice of a specialist is going to be important because you want to know, you know, when you say acne, you want to be sure that that is acne and it's not something else that's happening as well. So it's always important to check in with your specialist. But um, yes, absolutely. Eating a whole food plant-based diet will be great for your skin. <laughs> Amen to that. Okay, so we got time for just a couple of more. And Dr. Jess, let me preface by saying that if you don't know the answer to this one, it's totally okay. We can look up the research and present it in a future show. But Stephanie, I thought that this question was interesting, says that she's having difficulties right now focusing on work. Do you have any suggestions to improve focus with diet? Do we know anything about an association there? Um. So I know specifically when it comes to ADHD, and that's not what she's telling me that she has, but we know that individuals, um, so when I think of focus, I think of distraction, I'm thinking, I'm trying to make that connection with um, um, attention deficit here. And the research that I am aware of is focused kind of in that uh, realm. And we know that foods that are junk foods, that are processed, that are high in sugar, um, high in caffeine, those things are disruptive to individuals who have a diagnosis of attention deficit. And I would gather, and I could potentially make the link that um, those foods can potentially affect your focus even without that diagnosis. Now, I don't know that for sure. And we can certainly look at some of that research, um, but um, you know, junk food and soda and caffeine uh, in excess to a degree, uh, you may feel like you're focused because you have that high level of maybe sugar and caffeine rushing through your veins, um, but there's going to be a drop off um, at the end of that. So sticking with foods that are rich in high fiber, fruits and vegetables, getting adequate water. Um, is another important piece because when it, lack of focus is coming from could you know, from lots of things. It can be um, from lack of sleep, um, but it can also be from dehydration. So making sure that those things are in place and in, and um, adequate uh, is going to be really important as well. All right. Final question. There's a lot of chatter right now in the chat box about this combination. I need for you to weigh in on this just on a personal level. Forget, okay. forget the whole doctor thing. People are talking about eating oatmeal with kimchi. Some things are better together. Some things are separate. I want to know where your head is at on this. Oh my gosh. That is wild. That's really interesting. But I will tell you, I'm sure it's delicious. And I'm going to share this uh, with you. As growing up um, uh, in a in an Indian household, we didn't eat a lot of sweet things for breakfast, right? So um, coming, uh, you know, being home, being um, the child of an immigrant family, they kind of adapted with the things that we had. And so my t- parents would eat oatmeal with a spicy um, pickle in it. And so that's what this reminded me of. And I grew up and I was like, this is, I can't do this. But apparently... It works. Apparently (laughs) it can work. It can be tasty. So however you're going to get your oatmeal in, go for it. And if you're going to add some really good, delicious fermented um, uh, source of probiotics, great. Our, our director today says that she would absolutely eat that. She says, as a matter of fact, I like mushroom and spinach oatmeal as well. I would be more inclined to try mushroom spinach oatmeal than yeah. the kimchi oatmeal. I love kimchi. <laughs> I love oatmeal. I'm just a little skeptical of <laughs> marinating the flavors together. I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. All right, Dr. Jazz, thank you so very much for your time today. This has been great. This is great, Chuck. Thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for your questions. I look forward to hearing more of them next time. 
You can schedule an appointment to visit with Dr. Jazz at the Barnard Medical Center via the wonders of telemedicine. All you need to do to schedule an appointment is call 202-527-7500 or visit barnardmedical.org. And yes, indeed, insurance is accepted. Also, by the way, at barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500, that is where you can find a full list of states where services are available now. Telemedicine visits available in more than a quarter of the country from our plant-based doctors and dietitians, just like Dr. Jazz. And by the way, your best opportunity to ask a question of one of our experts comes on Fridays on the exam room live. Dr. Neil Barnard is going to be joining us. He's going to be answering a ton of questions. And that is over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel. The shows kick off at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So come on and join us and get your questions answered. Dr. Barnard and all of our experts would love to hear from you. As by the way, would I. All right, really quickly, let's get a check on things from the exam room news desk. We've got an exciting news flash here. A new report finds that more Americans are on a diet these days, while simultaneously the rate of obesity is going up. A report from the CDC finds 17% of adults admit dieting. That's up 3% from a decade earlier. Meanwhile, the uptick on obesity, that is far outpacing the diet increase, jumping from 34 to 42% of all Americans. The report also finds the majority of dieters are women. And also interesting in the findings, the higher a person's level of education, the more likely they are to go on a diet. Meanwhile, both sexes are more likely to diet after the age of 40. And in related news, a new study finds that not all weight loss is equal when it comes to your heart. Analyzing data for more than 5,100 adults with type 2 diabetes, researchers at UT Southwestern Medical Center found that those who reduced their fat mass by 10% lowered their risk of heart failure by more than 20%. However, the same results were not found if a person lost weight by reducing lean body mass. You know that better as your muscles. And finally today, if you want to live longer, you may want to spice things up in the kitchen. It appears that chili peppers may add years to your life. A new study of nearly 600,000 people from four countries, including the U.S., finds that groups who frequently ate chili peppers had a 26% reduction in cardiovascular deaths and a 23% reduction in deaths from cancer. The capsaicin that gives the pepper its signature heat has previously been shown to have anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and anti-cancer effects. So spice things up, everybody. And while you go to the kitchen and you reach for that pepper, we're going to get out of here. I get a pepper of our own. That's all the time that we have. I want to say thank you one more time to Drs. Hanna Kaliova and Jasmine Sardana for joining us, Dr. Jazz. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based. <laughs>